The following message entitled Glorify God in Your Body, part 10 of the series, O Church Arise, was given by Mark Altrogi on the 17th of April, 2016. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. Well, Kevin's testimony is, I think, a really great transition between Joe's excellent message last week and what I'm going to speak about today in the following passage in 1 Corinthians 6 from where Joe began last week. So let's pray. Lord, we want to take sin seriously because you're a holy God and we want to be holy and we want to please you and glorify you. And so please help us as we look at your word. Help us to believe it. Help us to obey it. Help us to put it into practice. Help us to hate sin. Help us to love holiness and love You because that's where real joy and real satisfaction is. Thank You, Lord. You love us so much that You convict us and help us. Just pray You'd help me and help us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, anybody here, probably some of you, old people like me, may know the story of Pinocchio. Anybody ever see the movie Pinocchio, the Disney movie? Oh, a few people. Any, anybody under the age of 50 seen that movie? Oh yeah, alright. We've got some people who've seen that movie. Well, the Disney movie opens with Jiminy Cricket, if you may, may not remember this, singing When You Wish Upon a Star. The first verse goes, when, when you wish upon a star Makes no difference who you are <coughs> Jimmy, Jimmy, wait, 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 wait Anything your heart desires Will come to you And, and that's the kind of truth my parents raised me on. When you wish upon a star, it makes no difference who you are. Anything your heart desires will come to you. Boy, I'm glad that doesn't happen. Well, the story of Pinocchio is about a woodcarver named Geppetto who carves a marionette, a puppet, Pinocchio. And one night, he wishes upon a star that Pinocchio would become a real live boy. And as Geppetto sleeps, the blue fairy comes and grants the wish, partially. Pinocchio comes to life. No longer needs the marionette strings, but in order to become a real boy, he has to prove himself worthy. And uh, however, he needs some guidance, so the blue fairy appoints Jiminy Cricket to be his conscience. And Jiminy Cricket has his work cut out for him because... Pinocchio keeps getting into trouble. At one point, Pinocchio starts to lie. And you probably know this, but every time Pinocchio lies, his nose gets longer and longer. And later, Pinocchio uh, gets taken to Pleasure Island, where boys, little boys, can be as naughty as they like and drink beer and smoke cigars. But since they act like jackasses, the magic of the island gradually turns them into donkeys. 
And Pinocchio starts to change into a donkey, growing long ears and a tail, but he somehow manages to escape and return home. And you may be thinking, is this what I came to hear this morning? Well, Pinocchio has some parallels to us. We are, before Jesus Christ rescues us, we are dead in our sins. We have no spiritual life in us. We are like wooden marionettes. We are puppets of Satan. Really, that's what the, the, the Word says, that we are enslaved. We're following the Prince of Darkness. But Jesus gives us faith. We believe in Him and all He did for us. And God makes us alive in Him. He gives us eternal life when we believe in Jesus as the Bible talks about Him, describes Him. Now, we don't have to prove ourselves like Pinocchio did, but we do begin a journey. We begin, or we should begin a journey as disciples who become fully conformed to Christ. Instead of Jiminy Cricket, we have a conscience, an infinitely better, infinitely better, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us to convict us, to guide us. But, we can fall into the lures of Pleasure Island, the world, and give in to sin. And we can become spiritual jackasses and even bring very serious consequences upon ourselves. And as Kevin shared, and I'm not saying Kevin's a spiritual jackass, I have, I have been a spiritual jackass in my life even at times as a Christian. We can do that. We can fall into sin and bring serious consequences upon ourselves. And as Kevin shared, just because we're Christians doesn't mean we can't fall into serious sin and practice it. We shouldn't, but we can. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul said to the Corinthian church, he said, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, even now, you are not yet ready, for you're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way. Now they were Christians. They were born again. But he was saying, you're living out of your old sinful nature. You're living out of the flesh. You're believers, yet you're practicing jealousy and strife. So you're giving into your flesh and you're acting like, you're behaving like humans who aren't born again. So Christians can do this. Last week, Joe taught on this Scripture. That's why I'm saying Kevin was transitioning between last week and this week. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So he's saying, such were some of you, so quit doing these things. 
You aren't the same anymore. You were washed. You were sanctified. That means set apart for God. Made holy. You were justified. You were clothed with the righteousness of Christ. So don't keep living like the old you. Stop it. That's what he's saying. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We are new creations when we believe in Jesus Christ. When we turn to Him, when we call upon the name of the Lord. We're not the same person. We may look the same on the outside, but we're new creations. We're one with Christ. We're no longer slaves of sin. We need to live like who we are, not who we used to be. And so in all his letters, Paul says, live like who you are in Christ. Don't keep living like who you were. But in our text this morning, apparently, some were saying, it doesn't matter how you live. And so Paul is addressing that. And so let's look at 1 Corinthians 6, 12-20. All things are lawful for me, some were saying, apparently. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. See, it, it matters how we live. The big idea of this passage is that as new creations in Christ, God commands us to glorify Him with our bodies. Now, in Christ, we are free from the demands of the Old Covenant. Such as the food and the Sabbath laws. In, under the Old Covenant, they weren't allowed to eat many kinds of food. Now, we have liberty in what some call indifferent things, like food. For example, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So, what he's saying is there are things now that have changed 
from the Old Covenant. Yeah, we can eat pork now. Don't worry about it. That's an indifferent thing. Yet some in Paul's days, in Paul's day, were twisting this. And they were twisting this Christian liberty, and they were saying, hey, I can do anything I want with my body. And what it appears from this passage is, is they were misapplying Christian liberty. They were saying, hey, we can eat whatever we want, so we can do whatever we want with our bodies. And Paul says, no. Your bodies matter to God. Glorify God with your body. So the first thing Paul says is, our bodies matter to God. Not just our spirits. Not just our souls. They may have been thinking, hey, my soul is saved. My spirit is saved. It doesn't matter what I do with my body. Food, the bodies, they're all going to die. They're all going to be gone in the, in, in, the, in the end of this world. God's going to destroy everything. My spirit's going to be saved. It doesn't matter what I do with my body. No. Paul says that's different. Apparently, some were saying, all things are lawful for me. And so Paul says, all things are lawful for me. He quotes what people are saying. But he says, but not all things are helpful. And he quotes them again. All things are lawful for me. Paul says, but I will not be dominated by anything. So apparently some of the Corinthians were saying, all things are lawful for me. And Paul says, no, not all things are helpful. Sin will harm us. If we practice sin, it will dominate us or enslave us. And so he says, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. Now, what's interesting is in the original language, there's no quotation marks. So I, as I looked at different, different translations, some of them put the quote at food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, ended the quote there and then said, and God will destroy both one and the other. Some said food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy both one and the other. So what, what it appears that they were saying is, hey, food is of this earth, our bodies of this earth, they're, they're both going to be destroyed. It doesn't matter what I do with my body. And Paul says, no. There's a difference. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and, for the, and the Lord for the body. Food is one of those indifferent things. And in a sense, yes. Food is going to pass away when this world passes away. And these, these bodies will pass away, in a sense. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But they were applying this to sexual sin. They were saying, hey, if food's going to pass away, if our body's going to pass away, we can do whatever we want with our body. Paul says, no, no, no. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And then in verse 20, he says, so glorify God in your body. Our bodies are meant for the Lord. This flesh and blood is meant for the Lord. We must glorify God with our eyes, with our ears, with our mouths, with our hands, with every part of our bodies because we are new creations. Our bodies aren't meant for sexual immorality. Our bodies are meant for the Lord. Now, you may ask, or the Corinthians may have been asking, why 
Why do our bodies matter to God? And Paul gives us several reasons why our bodies matter to God. First of all, he says, these bodies will be transformed. These these physical bodies, we're not going to have these bodies in heaven. 1 Corinthians 15 says, these bodies are as much like a, a seed is to a, a tree when it's grown. Our, our, our spiritual bodies that we will have in heaven, physical, spiritual bodies, which we will have in the age to come, will be like the oak tree. These are like the seed. But it will be this body transformed somehow. It says, and God raised the Lord and He will also raise us up by His power. So these bodies will be raised up and transformed into new bodies as it says in 1 Corinthians 15. Now let me tell you this. Your house is not going to be transformed into a heavenly home. Our homes that we live in are going to be gone. It's not like these bodies are our possessions We can't take any of our possessions to heaven. They are not going to be transformed. My acoustic guitar is not going to be transformed into some kind of incredible spiritual guitar when I get to heaven. No, I'm not going to have my guitar. All the things we try to get and and long for and strive for, like we say, you can't take it with you. But these bodies will be transformed in heaven. And... We are going to be, as C.S. Lewis said, we are going to be creatures so marvelous that if you saw them now, you'd be tempted to worship them. We're going to be so incredible, as different from a seed is from an incredible tree. But it's, it's still the seed. It's this body. And so it matters what we do with this body. We're not to use our bodies to sin, and especially not for immorality. And the second reason, first reason is because these bodies are going to be transformed. The second reason Paul gives is our bodies are members of Christ. Verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? This is incredible. We are so joined to Christ. We are so one with Jesus Christ that our bodies are one with Him. Shall And then, this is almost unthinkable. This is almost... I can hardly even read this. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written in Genesis, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So our bodies are members of Christ, not just our soul or our spirit. We are joined to Jesus Christ in a very real way. So we are Christ's hands and feet and mouth in this world, literally and in some incredible, mysterious way. Our bodies are as much one with Christ as a husband and wife become one flesh. And this is mysterious, but a very real union. So if we 
commit sexual sin, if we join ourselves to a prostitute, if we commit other kinds of sexual sin, we are taking Jesus and joining Him to one. This is a horrific thought. If we commit immorality, it's like we're making Jesus commit immorality. If we watch something impure with our eyes, it's like we're forcing Jesus to watch something impure. This is how serious this is. And then, the third reason. First reason is because these bodies will be transformed. Second reason is because we are one with Christ. I mean, that would be enough reason in and of itself. But the third reason is when we sin sexually, we sin against our own bodies. Verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. If we lie or steal or commit any other sin, that's outside the body. But when we commit sexual sin, we sin against our own body. And here is the question. Do you want to destroy yourself? Do you want to bring destruction upon your own body? Then go ahead and commit sexual sin. That's why Paul says, flee sexual immorality. Flee. Don't flirt with it. Don't see how close you can come without falling into it. Proverbs 6, 32-33 says, He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. Jesus said, if you look at a woman lustfully with your eyes, you're committing adultery in your heart. He who commits, he who does it destroys himself. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. Man, that is so serious. This, this is not kidding, this is not a metaphor. This is reality. Your body, your life, your family, your very being perhaps will be destroyed. In Proverbs 6.6, 6, a young man wanders into temptation to sexual sin. And verse 21 says, with much seductive speech she persuades him. With her smooth talk she compels him. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. Or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. Man, when you're tempted to sexual sin, think this could cost me my life. This, this culture that we're living in, sexual sin is normal. 
is, hey, live together before you're married. Find out if you're right, with, right for each other. Find out if this is your soulmate. People live together all the time now. It's nothing. Homosexuality. All kinds of just sexual sins all over the place. And people think, ah, oh, nothing's going to happen. He does not know that it will cost him his life. 1 Corinthians 10.8 We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, Israelites, and 23,000 fell in a single day. Now, every sin is bad. Every sin corrupts. Saying a little white lie will send you to hell just as equally as a fornicating sin will if you're not a Christian. However, sexual immorality goes deeper. It cuts to the core of humans in a way that other sins don't because it's intertwined with heart and soul and mind and body and not every sin is like that. One man says, to sin sexually, Paul might say, means you are practically going to ruin your life here on earth, not just in eternity. John Calvin said this, Paul does not altogether deny that there are other vices in like manner which, by which our body is dishonored and disgraced, but that his meaning is simply this, that defilement does not attach itself to our body from other vices in the same way as it does from fornication. My hand, it is true, is defiled by theft or murder. My tongue by evil speaking or perjury. And the whole body by drunkenness. But fornication leaves a stain impressed upon the body such as is not impressed upon it from other sins. And in Proverbs 5, he's just appealing. The, the Solomon who wrote Proverbs, he's appealing and he says, And now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner and at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors, I'm at the brink of utter ruin. In the assembled congregation, he was talking about sexual sin. Think about this. This is talking about all forms of sexual sin. With our eyes. Do you watch movies with sexual stuff in them? Impure stuff? You just watch these things? Don't! If you thought, if I watch this, I could destroy myself. I could bring destruction into my life. Turn it off. Don't watch it. Don't watch TV shows that have impure things in them. 
turn them off. You could say, oh, it's just a little bit. Oh, it's, uh, it's only here and there. Oh, it's just a few scenes. Don't, don't watch them. Flee immorality. Don't flirt with it. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. That's the next reason. Our bodies. Here's the, here's the next reason Paul says to flee immorality. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, Or do you not know that your physical body, your body, is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? Not only are our bodies joined to Jesus Christ, but they are temples of the Holy Spirit. God Himself is living in our physical bodies. Not just in your spirit. Not just in your mind. In your body. Your body is a temple of the Spirit, Holy Spirit. Don't desecrate the temple by committing immorality. Think of how we clean up our homes when we're going to have people stay with us. Often the motivation for me, sadly, is fear of man. We're worried what people will think of us if they come in and our house is a total pigsty. I've said to Christy, my wife at times, it's amazing how motivating the fear of man can be to clean up the house. I'm ashamed to say it, and I, I keep saying, no, I'm doing this so it will bless them when they come. So, it's, so they come into a nice clean house, they can enjoy the evening here with the fellowship group or whatever. <laughs> but part of the reason we... Do it is really we want those who are coming into our homes to feel comfortable and to enjoy it. That is part of the reason why we clean up when we're having guests over. We don't want our relatives and friends as they're getting ready for bed at night to have to look at our dirty socks on the floor and our junk all over the dresser. That would not be pleasurable or enjoyable for our relatives. You know, we 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 want when Aunt. Martha comes, we want, we want her to enjoy the bedroom. We don't want there to be apple cores on the floor, whatever. You know, that would not be fun for Aunt Martha. Well, how much more should we want these temples of the Holy Spirit to be clean and pure for Him to dwell in? And if we clean our rooms or our houses even wrongly because we fear man at times, how much more should we fear God the Holy Spirit and keep His temple clean and pure. And Paul gives us yet even another reason. He gives us all these reasons. Jesus paid the highest price to purchase us for Himself. And so he says, you are not your own for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Jesus poured out His very blood his very life to purchase not just our soul, not just our spirit, but our body. We don't belong to ourselves. He says, you are not your own. You don't belong to yourself. Your life is not yours to just do what you want with it. We belong to Jesus. He paid the highest price that ever could be paid. And when we sin with our bodies, we're saying, I don't care what you paid, Jesus. I don't care that you shed your blood for me. What an insult. 
We can't just do whatever we want with Jesus' possessions. So what are we to do? What are we to do? Run! Run first of all. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus Christ. Get down on your knees like Kevin did. Say a prayer. Call out to Him. Say, Jesus, cleanse me. Forgive me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, I want to please You. And, and if we come to Jesus, He is so quick to forgive us. So quick to help us. 1 John 2.1 My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Run to Jesus. He so longs to help you. And He can free you from anything just as He has freed Kevin, just as He has freed so many of us in this room. Run to Jesus. Run away from sexual immorality. Verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Flee. The Greek for that word means flee. (laughs) It means get out of there. Escape. Shun. Get the heck away as quickly as you can. Don't flirt with it. Don't see how close you can come without sinning. Stay out of the car in the park in the dark. Stay. Run. Do whatever you need to do. If you're, if, if you're tempted by being on the internet, don't get on the internet. Don't. Do whatever you need to do. Some of you should not even look at Facebook. I'm not saying everybody, but if it's a temptation for you, flee. Don't flirt with someone on Facebook. I remember one young man I heard many years ago said he took so literally flee that when he was tempted sexually, he would literally go for a run. He would just go to a track and run and run and run until he was exhausted, and that helped him. And I can remember hearing someone say, whether it was him or not, a good run is better than a bad fall. Flee. Run. Get away. Don't flirt with that woman at work. Avoid tempting situations. You know when you're being tempted. Don't do it. Don't think, oh, nothing's going to happen. You know when you're starting to get into a situation. Ephesians 5.3 says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Sexual immorality. The NIV says, Among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. Not even a hint. So if you're watching television and you're watching an impure scene, that's more than a hint of sexual immorality. Not even a hint in your language. Not even a hint in what you expose yourself to. Pray. Pray. That's what else you should do. Pray. So run. Run to Jesus. Run from it. Pray. Jesus said, when we say the the Lord's Prayer, He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Pray, Lord Jesus, help me not to lust. Lord Jesus, 
as you're driving your car down the street and you see someone, Lord Jesus, please keep me clean and pure. Lord Jesus, Father, deliver me from temptation. Deliver me from sin. Deliver me, Lord. Help me, please. Every day, pray, Lord, please lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from temptation and sin. And it it promises us, Jesus promises us in Hebrews 4, if we draw near to the throne of grace, He says, we may receive mercy for when we blow it and find grace to help in time of need. Grace is God's strength and God's power to help in time of need. And sometimes it really is good to confess. Well, first of all, confess your sins to God. 1 John 1, 9 If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess your sins to God. And then, as Kevin said, he confessed his sins to his wife. And that's very good and totally right and appropriate at times to confess our sins to others. James 5, Kevin mentioned, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. And also, as Kevin mentioned, Proverbs 28.13, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Finally, get accountability if you need to. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10 says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Once a man in our church said to me, Mark, called me up, said, Mark, i got to go away on a business trip for a week. When I am staying in the hotel, I do not even want to turn on the TV because I am tempted to watch things I shouldn't watch when I turn on the TV in a hotel. So when I get back from my trip, would you please ask me if I turned on the TV, if I watched anything? And I did, and he had not watched anything. That accountability was helpful to him. And that kind of humility and that kind of wisdom on his part helped him to walk in purity. So what is our goal? What is our goal Verse 19 and 20, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Our goal is to glorify God in our bodies. Whether you eat or whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, it says, do all for the glory of God. And the good news is, God in Jesus has given us all we need to have victory. God would never tell us to do something and not then give us the means and supply us with the grace and the power to do it. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us His Word. He's given us prayer. He's given us free access to the throne of grace. He's given us brothers and sisters to help us and pray for us and encourage us. He's given us all we need to have a victorious life and not sin, and not, fall, not become slaves of sin. And I just want to say that if you're struggling in this area, we want to help you. We have a prayer team who would be happy to pray for you today. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, we pastors, either Bob or Joe or I, would be happy to meet with you. Uh, we have many in the church as well 
who would be happy to meet with you and pray with you. Kevin would be happy to meet with you and pray with you if you're struggling with anything. You don't have to battle these kind of sins and temptations alone. Come up for prayer or give us a call. Jesus wants you to have victory in your life, especially in this area. So let's pray. Let's stand. Let's pray. Ben can come up. Lord, we are all weak. We have all sinned. We have all failed at times, Lord. And we thank You that You don't, so often, You don't give us what our sins deserve. Because You are merciful and gracious. Lord, if You gave me what my sins have deserved in my life, I would be in hell right now. Thank You that You don't reward us as our sins deserve. And so often You spare us the consequences that we deserve. But Lord, we don't want to take that for granted. We want to fear You in a healthy way. So we just pray, Lord, that You would use this Word that we heard today to put a healthy, godly, holy fear into us, Lord, because we want to glorify You. We want to glorify You. We want You to receive glory by our lives and how we use our bodies. So we thank You, Lord. We believe You are more anxious to help us than we are to be helped. And we thank You for that. In Jesus' name, amen.